Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Corner of Gray Street podcast. We've got a big one for you today. Special guest making a return appearance to the podcast, an encore, if you will. When that, we haven't had that happen many times, Bruce. I think Mr. Clint Wells here is in elite company uh, with maybe just Matt Norlander. We'll have to check <laughs> the uh, the stats on that one. But Bruce, really excited to have uh, Clint on with us again this week. Welcome back, Clint. Thank you, guys. Glad to be here. One of my favorite podcasts. Two of my, two of my only Dave Matthews buddies. I mean, how often do I blow you guys up about random Dave shit? Not enough. Yeah, not not enough. enough. We love it though when you do. <laughs> I worry about it sometimes. I'm like, especially I was in the UK recently, and it was like I, the time was so weird for me and you guys. And I realized when I was texting you guys dumb shit like they played pig that uh you know it was like probably 2 a.m. for you guys. You guys have wives and families, so thank you, and I'm sorry. Sorry, right. we're oh, probably never so apologize. It's, it, it's not like Nolan and I haven't done the same to to each other before, uh, right. so it's it's no big deal whatsoever. We love it. If it wake, it, I don't even think my phone's ever really has message notifications on like sound, so it's not going to wake me up. Um, so no worries. Always love talking DMB with this cat. Um, and we're going to get right into it because this guy, he was in Nashville, Nash Vegas last week for the Dave Matthews Band show there. So Clint's going to really kind of set the scene for us. He's going to get us in the venue. He's going to be uh, have us downtown Nashville ready to go. Um, and also he's going to be able to tell us kind of what his expectations were, um, if he had any really and you know honestly the thing that most surprised me was number one how long it had been since you'd seen a show clint yeah proper show i guess as you said and maybe some of the songs you didn't want to hear over what you did want to hear so nolan and i are going to kind of bow out for a second and let you roll yeah because as we all know clint's a great storyteller well i appreciate that thank you i i had just been i'd flown home from ireland the day before and uh, was very excited. I have not seen a proper non-festival show since 2000, 99 or 2000. And uh, I, your listeners might remember the last time I was on the show, we had just played the band that I play with. We had just played Pilgrimage Festival, and Dave was headlining. And through the virtues of playing that festival, I was able to catch that show, watch, watch the first five or so songs from the, um, the press pit, and got to mingle with some diehards on the rail. And then they bounced us pretty quick, and... But it was a festival set. It was pretty safe. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of chance of seeing anything interesting. So I kind of considered this my first show since like 99 or 2000, which would have represented like the height of my fandom. Can I pause anyone... you? Do you remember what show that was? I think the last show I saw was Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta. <laughs> I saw two shows really back to back because I'm from Birmingham. I live in Nashville now, gotcha. but back then I would have traveled to see. Um, and I, they were warehouse tickets. I was a warehouse member back then. And I do remember that we got, um, I know we got Dreaming Tree, and I know that we knew at the time that it was a treat. Like, at the time, we were like, holy shit, they're playing Dreaming Tree. And I think we got The Stone, too. I went back and looked at the set list. I don't remember much else about it. Um, You know, I've only seen about four or five shows. Very low show count. I'm sure some of your listeners are, like, doubting my pedigree as a fan. But we we can get into that. So so I was pretty excited. My (laughs) wife went with me. Um, there's a brand of guitar called Gibson Guitar. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar with it. I have a good relationship with Gibson. They're based here in Nashville. They help us out with the Morgan Way Camp. They throw some guitars at us every once in a while. 
and they have a um, they have one of those like kind of muckety muck booths, you know, at Bridgestone Arena. And our Gibson rep, shout out to my friend Jordan Fang. She was like, "Yeah, if you ever want to go see the show at Bridgestone, just let me know, and if you know, we can try to see if you know there are tickets available for that box." And I was, I, and I like to tell people this all the time. I like to just throw it at them and see what they say. Well, I'm like, well, you know, I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan because, you know, somehow, somehow along the way, it became kind of uncool to like Dave Matthews. I don't really know the, you know, machinations of not liking great bands like Dave Matthews or Coldplay or whatever. And I'm very non-snobby about that shit. So I, I get a kick out of sometimes telling people, I'm like, you know, I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan. In fact, when we were in the UK on this acoustic tour, the thing I used to do at the sound checks is I would ask the front of house guy, what's your favorite Dave Matthews song? Almost as a joke. <laughs> and then, you know, I'll try to play, you know, play all the songs, at least snippets of them. And these two dudes in York, uh, in York, UK, were huge Dave Matthews fans. And they kind of called my bluff and like we talked deep Dave Matthews shit, you know, like they were asking me to play Spoon and stuff. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. <laughs> so anyway, I told Jordan, I said, well, you know, I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan and they're going to be here. And she was like, you know, I think I can get you tickets to that if you and your wife want to go. So sure enough, she hooked me up. It was an amazing way to see the boys. And um, I was kind of anxious about, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I'm always kind of anxious to get into my seat. When we got there like an hour and 10 minutes early. Thanks to y- y'all's advice, you know, told me to get there maybe an hour early. We tried to get the poster, as you guys know. I'm not really a big poster guy, but I saw that poster and I was like, God damn, this is an awesome poster. So we got in the line. The line hardly moved for like 30 minutes. I eventually bounced because I was, again, nervous about getting to our spot, which we were in a private bot. I don't know why I was anxious about it. It's not like I was trying to get the rail. I just wanted to get there, get my cocktail. And I had my game face on, dude. You guys should have seen it. So my wife waited. She got all the way to the end of the line. The poster sold out. She got me this fire dancer hat, so I felt okay. She gets up there, and now this is like a booth with Gibson. Like, literally the owner of Gibson, Cesar, who I hadn't met until this night, but knew of him. He's there with his wife, and, like, it's, you know, it's, you know, it would behoove me to mingle with these people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I did, but I, I kept it to a minimum, and I was just sitting there, like, game face, like, soaking it up, dude, like a total dork really like a total dork and there were people coming in and out like various people connected to gibson guitars and hey so who are you what's your name like what are you you know like doing nice stuff and i'm just like yeah yeah nice to meet you hi and then I'm like immediately <laughs> just looking back at the stage you know thinking about what they're going to open with and like i know that they've been playing busted stuff and so you know i definitely had the things i wanted to see and i was texting you guys of course like about the crowd and um so it was very exciting. I'm trying to set it up for you. Like, it's like, I don't get to do this much. Like, I think one of you guys were poking fun at me. Like, how have you not seen them since 99? And it's because I've been on tour since 99. You know, like, almost any time they were coming through Birmingham or, or Nashville, I'm on the road. Especially because they mostly tour in the summers. That's heavy touring season for most people. So I guess I could have been more proactive and traveled more. But it just, I don't know. I didn't really, people might remember my story from last time I was on. I kind of got off the ride from 2000 from stand up until come tomorrow. So that actually also explains a pretty big gap. You know, I was one of those guys that got stand up and kind of considered it a head scratcher and kind of felt like the band had changed too much and sort of got off the ride. Um, I actually love stand up now, (laughs) which we'll kind of talk about later on when we get into the most recent album, walk around the room, obviously and your reaction to that, because you know, missing, Albums yeah. like Big Whiskey and Away from the World, and um, 
you know, I think you dropped a nugget on us that you didn't even know what big whiskey was until like 2018, basically when you found out what Come Tomorrow was probably. I had never heard any of the songs on big whiskey. I, um, after stand up, I think, <laughs> I think I was just ready to move. I mean, you guys know, like I, from, from, um, crash through stand up, I was just as big a diehard as you could imagine high school years and early college years. And um, I think by the time they did stand up, I think it was just a combination of the album was weird. I didn't like the cover. I didn't like a few of the song. I just thought it was weird. They just felt like they weren't my band anymore, you know? And I think that was kind of my fault, but that's what happened. And it actually kind of happened with a lot of my buds at that time. I don't know if, I know that's kind of like a more divisive album. So anyway, Big Whiskey completely missed me. Never heard a single thing from it, except I think I heard, strangely enough, I think I heard Dive In on Birmingham radio one time. I don't know why that song, I don't think it was a single, right? I, I would have heard probably Funny the Way It Is, right? But the song I remember hearing is Dive In because I remember hearing the chorus and it, it felt like I'd been away from Dave for a long time. And I was like, oh, the new Dave song. And I remember when he got to the chorus and talked about diving into the empty ocean, I was like, oh, there he is. There's my boy. He's still, he's still putting those little twists in there, you know? Um, and then... Away from the world, I heard the, him do the song Sweet on NPR and loved it. And that's like one of my least favorite songs now, but I loved it. And I remember getting away from the world, listening to it maybe two times, and then just moving on. And then when Come Tomorrow happened, I don't know why, but that's when it I got charged up. Like I found, I got on Ants. I mean, I don't, I don't know why it happened at the time that it did. That stuff's kind of mysterious to me. But so I felt like I was getting back in touch with my like 13-year-old self. So yeah, getting big whiskey and like, I mean, I remember the first time I heard Lion in the Hands of God or Squirm where I was just like, oh, I mean, those to me are like represent peaks of the band at that time. Um, so I didn't have any of the baggage, you know, I didn't have the baggage about like Time Bomb or Spaceman or, um, you know, I came into it kind of dumbly pure. And there are times when I'm on the forum now, which I look at the forum almost every day. I listen to you guys every time you go to the episode. There are times now when I walk into the conversation and I, it's almost like you walk in and then you sort of slowly tiptoe back out <laughs> because I realize you guys are having a family conversation you've been having while I was, the prodigal son was off gallivanting around the world, you know? And uh, so I kind of come in like, hey, it can't stop, it's fucking rips, right? And you, you know, the D&B family's like, we've no. hated that song since, yeah, since 2006, dude. So. You know, I feel like in some cases I'm catching up, but in other in other instances, I, I think I have an interesting perspective to give on that. You know, I think there's like a a joy that hasn't been crushed out of me yet. You know, and I yeah, we experienced this over I, the head with seven yet. and all right. of that stuff. Right, I love seven. I think seven is awesome. You know, the, that part when it slows down is like reds the color with my of the sun with my eyes closed. I love all that, but I have I don't have any baggage connected to it. You know. They don't play it anymore, really. So all those songs are like super rare. They're like our spoons. Oh, shit. (laughs) Clint, did you say that Can't Stop Rips and you were being serious? Yeah. The first time I heard that song, I had no connection to it. I I just liked the guitar part because as a guitar player, like the guitar part kind of has this great like circular thing. It like rolls around. I mean, I would soon go on to find like Break Free which is, has a similar sort of circular, you know, it has a similar vibe and a much cooler. Like I realize that Can't Stop's not one of their cooler songs. Like I get it, you know, but I mean, damn, I just loved it. I, I just Samurai Cop. It was just all brand new for me as someone who loves this band so much. 
So okay, Bruce, I think we're going to do this without Clint the rest of the episode. <laughs> uh, so. I was going to say, I think Nolan's eye is twitching. I don't think there's, I'm trying to think if there's a song come tomorrow I don't like. I, th- I don't really like when I'm weary or the song come tomorrow, but that's about it. Like, I like Here On Out, you know? I, I, I thought Here On Out was really touching and sweet. And of course, again, when I talk about walking into the conversation, like the argument that everyone's been having, like, this is a Dave Solo song. And, you know, like, this song's yeah. patched together from 10 years of sessions. And I, did, you, I wouldn't have known, you know? I really wouldn't have known. I liked Virginia in the Rain. I liked Again and Again. I mm-hmm. love Come On, Come On. Is that a song that people mm-hmm. like? Do the fans yeah. like that song? I, Nolan, you can correct me if I'm wrong for you, but I've really liked it. I loved it studio. It might have been like number one or number two for me. I made two okay. or three for me on the album, and yeah. I still like it live. I think you people have appreciated it coming back, too. I think it's that one's one where like it just sounds like a DMB song. They've yes. had so many lately that don't, and I think that one... like. Just hearing like Dave's guitar on that one, like he crushes that, especially live. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think I don't know. Come tomorrow is if you put an album together of like the best stuff from Why I Am, Away from the World, and Come Tomorrow, you'd have a like a really good album. But I think like you know they've got like two, maybe two great tracks on each of those albums, like like Virginia in the Rain and Again and Again, or like phenomenal studio yeah. cuts what do you think but the like, two best are on away from the world snow outside and oh, yeah. love that one the riff i mean i love that Broken i, I recently i recently re-listened to it and i was like damn like i love snow outside and if only i love drunken soldier like that stuff that happens mm-hmm. at the end of snow outside into drunken soldier is some of the coolest shit they've ever done it's like yeah. it's like pink pink floor it, it's like they really never done anything like that. It's awesome. It's just like Pink Floyd. They like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah Pink Floyd could like soldier, sue them for stole, that. One. <laughs> I mean, they they stole what was it? Breathe or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They stole that and put it on Drunken Soldier. So whatever. But Snow Outside is one of the best studio cuts they've ever had. I feel like we're so yeah. far off the rails. Yeah. Um, let me get us back to the show. So okay, no, very very quickly. So no, I, what I was going to say is that this is. Not in a bad way. Like my favorite part of doing this show is exactly what we're doing right now, um, mm-hmm. and what you know, Clint. You've been looking for, as you said last time, in in DMV people, and what Nolan and I just do because we're just lame um, have done since high school. So um, yeah, yeah. Continue, continue. It's just well, I made the observation. I was like, this is awesome. Well, hope yeah. I mean, I think this is the kind of conversation we would just be having over a beer if we were together, and so that, I yep. think that hopefully the joy comes through, um, and you know, my, it gives my wife a break from me being like, and this is why, <laughs> this is why busted stuff is a you know, it's thirteen year liberation. You know, I'm just having to explain all that, to my, <laughs> which she was a good sport. So hopefully, your listeners have a little bit of context for where I was coming from when I'm sitting there, not ignoring but not kissing the ass of the owner and president of Gibson Guitars. Okay. You know, it was like, we had a great conversation. We talked about Tool. We talked about Metallica. He's very close with Kirk Hammett and Adam Jones. They, Those guys make guitars together and stuff. And and uh, I think he could get the vibe, too, that I was, like, very pumped. Like, legitimately, just, like, I wasn't just a guy that wanted free tickets with the bougie Gibson box. Like, ready to rock, you know? And I had looked at the set list before. I saw that they, oh, dude, the two songs they played at the show before us were Pig, which is my favorite Dave song, and to come, to, and to come on, come on. 
So I was like, God damn, they're probably not playing those. I probably even asked you guys, like, what's the likelihood that they're going to play Pig twice in a row? And I think one of yeah. you guys were like, You're like, will not, they open with good. it again? <laughs> yeah, I was like, totally. oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and, you know, it was a fun experience to share with my wife, too, who is kind of a neutral Dave fan, like, likes him fine, not a diehard, doesn't dislike him. She knows, like, you know, she actually said, she's like, are you going to play Satellite? Which I thought was really cute. And actually said, probably not. And I was like, they actually don't play Satellite that much. And then, of course, we did get <laughs> Satellite. So they come out. It was exciting. I, w- I was a little worried because a lot of the Nashville fans were kind of late to get to their seats. And I was sort of worried that maybe the boys hadn't sold tickets, you know. It ended up being complete, a full sellout, like completely packed, like by the time they started. And they open when the world ends, which, you know, so with each song, and I'll try to burn through the set list, but with each song, my wife is like, okay, is this cool? Like, you know, is this a song you want to hear? <laughs> and my, and again, I, I might be wrong. I don't, I don't think I know the stats as well as you guys, but I, when they open when the world ends, I was like happy. I was like, this is pretty, pretty damn cool. This song is awesome. It's super fun. I don't know how often they play it or open with it, but I'm stoked. I'm a huge everyday fan. So... They burned that down. Then into Satellite, which was the song my wife wanted to hear. And I actually love Satellite. I would take Satellite at every show. I don't know why that song stuck with me, but that's... I'm happy with it. I think it's one of his best songs, actually. Well, they and, played it almost every show, so... Yeah, it's like kind of made a resurgence on this tour, right? Uh, or they played it almost every show in general or on this tour? They played a ton. Um, I think yesterday was their 1,050th time playing it. Oh. I don't know why I thought they didn't play it much. Okay. Um, another interesting aspect of this show, because I do a Metallica podcast, we're diehard Metallica fans. We're having a lot of similar, they just have a new, they have a new album out and a new tour. A lot of actually interesting analogous things happening with Metallica. But the other facet, the other part of the DMB onion is I'm also watching the crowd, right? Because I know that I'm an insane diehard, but I'm, I'm watching the crowd and expectations of set lists because people complain about Metallica set lists, but they play almost the same set every show. And I try to explain to some of our people over there. I'm like, Dave Matthews plays a different set every day and people are still grumpy about it. You know, like it's a very fascinating thing. So I'm watching, thinking about like diehard brain and casual brain. And I got to say in general, the crowd fucking loved the show. The crowd went nuts for this show. You know, like the the um, those of us who were like doing all the math and like hoping that they play deep cuts, it's got to be like five percent of the people there. You know, you think yeah. it's even smaller than five? It could be. It, it's small, very small. This crowd loved it, and I I had a great time the whole time. And I hate to be complainy, but there were a few moments. There was like a section of the set list where I was a little bummed. Not not a time, but a little bit. All right, so satellite. Madman's Eyes, which I love. I consider Madman's Eyes like an instant DMB classic. Yes. Love it. I, and I didn't see any of the, um, we'll get to this when we talk about Walker on the Moon, but I didn't really pre-listen to I stayed away from the live versions of these new songs so that I could give myself one last treat in life. You know, a 39-year-old dad. It's all been ground out of me. So I, can, I only have a few more nice things burning down a new Dave Matthews album without... <laughs> without preconceived notions is one a little gift I could give myself. So oh, yes. when I heard Madman's Eyes, it. you know, I actually, we listened to it on my Metallica podcast with my co-host, Ethan. I, I need to find where that is because the joy is just coming through because we all know it now, but I immediately was like, this is like the last stop. This is like minarets. You know, this is like before these crowded streets, dark shit. So I was happy to see Madman's Eyes and it burn, it burns down live. It's fucking awesome live. 
like it's better live i think you know oh, it yes. does that scream after the bridge mm-hmm. Powerful. so it's powerful dude it totally is and it was it great live and no one took a potty break like it really seemed like everyone was in it you know then of course and so another little thing is so no one in this booth were as excited as me uh, until this point and then there was this um a girl shout out to jen i think her and her husband are fans of your show she sits down next to me and you know how when you're standing next to someone at a concert you can tell by what they're saying that they know what's going on like she was making some comments about dave where i was like oh this she knows what's up i could tell you know <laughs> but we hadn't started talking yet and then the busted stuff they that and I was like, holy shit, they're playing busted stuff. And then she was like, you know what that, you know, like it was like a, um, we recognized our people, you know, because of busted <laughs> stuff. And that was definitely one of the top, I posted an Instagram post that day of like top 10 songs I want to see. Busted stuff was one of them, right? So I told my wife, like, you know, they hadn't played it in 13 years until this tour. Very exciting stuff. Uh, Rapunzel was great. It was fine. My wife loved that one. They played Walk Around the Moon, which is one of my one of the ones I like a lot on the new album. But people took a potty break during Walk Around the Moon. Oh. Yeah, it was interesting. And Dave said something like, um, like I saw Copper Pot was, was um, tweeting about and stuff. He said something that was like, hey, we're going to play some new stuff. We're going to play some stuff, some old stuff. And we hope you like it. And if not, better luck next time, which was kind of cool, you know, like. <laughs> but he was kind of apologizing for it in a way. Like, it reminded me of um, in that same building, same Bridgestone Arena, right before Tom Petty passed away. My wife and I went and saw the show, and he they had a great new album out called Hypnotic Eye that my wife and I loved. And when they got to this part of the set list, Tom said something kind of charming, kind of self-effacing, where he was like, we got this new album, and we really love it. We're really proud of it. We're going to play a few songs from that album because we think it's awesome. If you guys want to go get a beer or take a pee break, we understand and then a lot of people did because he kind of set a weird tone for it where he kind of gave everyone an excuse to ignore it instead of instead of planning it in between his two hours of hits and like letting it stand on its own you know what i mean and dave didn't quite I, do that he he kind of did his typical he was kind of a fuck you actually which i like <laughs> he does that. that sounds about right you know, it's like you see that on the forums, like, does Dave, Dave does, Dave's the worst judge of his own music, and you know, Dave has no idea of the fan base. And it's like, yeah, but don't we kind of like him because he, he's an artist that generated all of this shit himself? Like, isn't that what we like about him, kind of, you know? Like, so anyway, they play Walk Around the Moon. It was great. I think that the um, it was blue, it was red section of the album is like a highlight of the entire album, that, that mm-hmm. bridge part. I'm so glad they do it twice. Um, yes. So Walk Around the Moon was awesome. Virginia in the Rain is where the diehards that were next to me. Turns out they'd been to like over 100 shows. So there's some of those people. You, you know those people. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, yeah. When Virginia in the Rain happened is when I got my bones with them, when I got my cred with them, because Tim was playing the V, or Tim was playing some guitar, and it was how Dave introduced it. And I, I wasn't like trying to be that guy that's like calling songs because that's fucking annoying. But I, I kind of more to myself said, oh, shit, they're going to play Virginia in the Rain. And then they started Virginia in the Rain, and the and Jen next to me was like, "Whoa!" She was like, "How many shows have you been to?" And I was like, four. <laughs> <laughs> Last one was '99, uh, which kind of blew their minds, right? So Virginia in the Rain, beautiful treat. I, I looked at Cesar, so Cesar, the Gibson guy, he's a huge Pink Floyd guy, and mm-hmm. I I tapped his knee and I said, "Dude, you know, this is a vibe. This is like not that it's Pink Floyd, but this is like 
a vibe, you know. I, did, I told him the same thing about Monsters. Because I could kind of tell that he maybe wasn't as hip to the new shit. He definitely was a fan. Like, when Don't Drink the Water came on, which was the next song, like, he was, he, like, hit my shoulder. He was like, this is the shit. This is so heavy, you know, because they play it so fast and heavy. But Dream mm-hmm. of the Rain and Monsters, I was like, dude, this is, like, the vibe, you know. Like, So, okay, so that was great. That was probably the last moment where I was, like, things took a dip for me after this, okay? Then Jimmy Thing starts up, and I'm like, well, here we go. This is going to be... Like, I love the song Jimmy Thing. One of his best choruses. You can hear 20,000 people singing that chorus. But the jam, the jam in it is kind of a lot for me. Because I'm one of these weird fans that I, I kind of prefer the studio versions. Like, I'd rather hear more songs than jams. Which I sort of understand is I get an outlier opinion. I'm going to hop in because I think then you probably missed a lot of dmb that you probably would have been a little bit more turned off on where they had a lot longer drawn out songs 41 was 15 18 minutes jimmy thing was 15 18 minutes two steps were that long 20 Um, minute two steps yeah 20 minute two steps your this show had one song that went over 10 minutes long and it was Jimmy thing at 10 minutes, 41 seconds. And then you get brick house. If you wanted to include that, I mean, they did not jam. They did not extend anything. I mean, you, you got it, sir. You got your two hours of music and not a lot of, you know, riffing and raffing. Um, but that, and when you said that, um, a couple of weeks ago, it's just such an interesting dichotomy between all different types of fans and, and musicians such as yourself, people that know what they're fucking doing and listening to and what they like and prefer. Um, so that's really cool. And it's interesting that you kind of missed out on a lot of the more noodly DMB kind of new Jeff, new Tim. And when they would play very long, lying in the hands of God crush. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, that were way longer than they are today, but yeah, interesting. So you got a show of, Full sub ten minute songs, basically. They must have known I was there. Well, because I remember when oh, I, they I, did. Was, I, I, I was I was a big tape trader in high school. You know, I probably had three hundred shows. Um, I would avoid the shows that had long jams. I remember that distinctly. <laughs> I would avoid the shows that had what because and you know this. I would have quit doing that. Um, I think the last bootlegs I had were like CDs, and they were early Lily White sessions. You know, they were playing those early versions of like Raven, and mm. and big-eyed fish and shit and that was kind of my last like real heyday and and every day i like every day but every day was definitely a demarcation point then they sort of threw everyone a bone and gave us busted stuff which got us you never know which i think is top 10 dmb for me and then i don't know why but stand up just was a a getting off the ride point so okay so jimmy thing and then i told my wife said they're gonna do they're gonna do a brick house cover and then I'll also say this at every point that I was getting kind of bummed, my wife loved it. And that was a good barometer for me because she's, she was just there for a good time. Yep. So brick house, I was surprised at how much I did. It was fun to watch brick house and it was short. Yep. So then they played monsters, which I consider another highlight of the new album. And that was another moment where I, I told Cesar, I was like, you know, Tim's going to, cause Tim rips a bitch in solo in monsters now on the oh, live. Yes. Version. Big time. And, Man, I love that song. I know people say that's more like a Dave Solo album song, too, or it's like some devil-ish, but I love it on the album. Then we get So Damn Lucky, speaking of Some Devil, which I thought was kind of a treat. Um, I love that song. And I heard, I could hear Jen, so who I'd already met, her husband was sitting behind me talking to Cesar. And I heard him saying, you know, this song's about a car crash Dave was in. You know, it's like, 
you're just like, hell yeah, my people are around me, you know, people who know this stuff, which not that that's like super inside knowledge, but he knew the tune. It was cool. The thanks for letting me be myself. Like I was getting annoyed at that stuff because I was like, stop it. Play, you know, play Warehouse. Play a song. Please, God, play a song. Yeah, so the worst. Then, so then another moment that really honestly wasn't my favorite. And I, I like all the news about the Nashville show is about this next thing. So we get a mid-set watchtower, which is cool. Mid-set watchtower, kind of rare, right? Is that rare? Yeah. He brings Zach Brown up, which is like, you know, I've toured, I toured with Zach um, for like six months in 2013. Love Zach. Love every, And I know he's a huge Dave fan. Like legitimate Dave fan, he probably listens to this show. In fact, hi Zach, good job on Watchtower. Uh, when I was touring with him, he did an unironic full cover of Ants Marching every night. They just legitimately would play Ants Marching. Um, he's awesome. just a huge fan, so it brought Zach out. He's got great pipes. They play Watchtower. Uh, Zach seemed a little out of place to me, like ripping the. You know, he's not really known as a guitar player. He's the front man of the Zach Brown fan, band. You know. He's a he's a, a front man. He's a great songwriter, great singer. I feel like he kind of struggled through the solo. Um, have you guys listened to it? You know, I did listen to this uh, while I was driving in my car on Sirius XM. Uh, they were playing the full show. And I wonder if maybe that's why the songs were a little shorter um, since it was yeah. on XM. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I knew, I knew it was Zach Brown playing on it and everything. And I loved all the stuff he said about Dave. And like you could tell. Like you said, huge fan. and um, But then when he started, like, when he got to the solo, I was like, oh, that's not Tim. And yeah. I was like, oh, no. This is, uh, <laughs> what is going on here? And it oh, was, poor Zach. I, he did, he he did struggle through it. And it just kind of, like, petered out, it seemed like. And and then it the song just kind of ended. I don't know. It was You know what's funny weird. about What's funny about you saying that, Nolan, is I think I literally said, oh, no, out loud to my wife, too. Because <laughs> it, it was kind of pluckety pluck. Like, and, and he, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, like, he's got a great pedigree. He's He's been on, I, when I toured with him, I was in a band that was opening for him. Mm-hmm. We did The Gorge. I mean, he sold out The Gorge. That's 30,000. T- you know, we did Hollywood Bowl. Like, this dude, this dude it does not get rattled easily. And there was yeah. actually, Dave paid him a really nice compliment where they, you know, they brought out, like, a guitar rig and a microphone for Zach. And Zach's like testing the mic, trying to get his, you know, he's like, one, two, one, two. And Dave said, damn, you even sound good saying check one, two, one, two, you know. Yeah. And of course, the Nashville crowd, I mean, it, it, he was poised to succeed. And he can sing his his butt off. So like when he was taking his verses, I mean, it was powerful. It was like people getting chills and shit. Mm-hmm. The solo section, he seemed nervous. It's, I think he knew he was in deep because that's a huge moment, right? I mean, how many times have we all heard like Warren Haynes rip the shit out of that or... You know, Tim whoever. does it every freaking other show. I mean, and then you know, a, he's right. It's like, yeah, plays it upside down and in his sleep and with his feet. I mean, you know, I, Zach, I think both of y'all are right. Zach is just he's a he's a good guitar player. He does a lot of great guitar stuff. He's not a lead solo melodic guitar well, imp- improvisationalist. Um, and, and he walked you know, over to Tim like almost to like almost looking for support or he was vibing i think he actually did get it to a place but i think carter saved the day because you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure you guys noticed but there's a there's a crescendo it ramps up and usually and and carter's the engine but carter usually if you have a really great player who knows how to tell that story and, and get the band there carter will just wait and follow them but i noticed at a certain point carter started 
getting the engine. Carter started to direct it to that crescendo because it's got to get there, and then it's then it kind of you know balances out. And I think Carter kind of saved the day on that one. And Zach ended up getting there. The yeah. crowd, the crowd loved it. And I got to say, when they finally landed the plane somehow, I mean, you could it, the, the arena was like shaking. So <laughs> when you judge the success of a musical moment, I mean, what's that's that's how you judge the success of it. I mean, people went fucking nuts. Yeah, there were several moments in the show where I was having my thing, my wife's thing, and the crowd's thing. You know, like just putting all of that where it goes. It was a very beautiful fascinating evening i mean i when i say this i mean it i loved every second of it like even the moments where i was like ah this isn't a song that i necessarily wanted to see i loved it i loved every second of it okay so then we get 41 we hear the nice beautiful little intro and i looked at my wife and i was like this is this is a good one this is you know this is a treat uh eight minute version of 41 i don't know i don't know how where that sits in the aggregate of like 41 performances but eight minutes and the solos were good. Like, I was enjoying the jams on that. Then they landed it. This is when it starts to get interesting. We were like, what are they doing? And they played I Want You by the Beatles, which I know Dave's a big Beatles guy. He, he tells that story about when he was a kid, he used to jump off of his roof and try to say all the names of the Beatles before he hit the ground. I've always, <laughs> always loved that story. It just, like, it appeals to, like, the redneck Alabama poor kid sensibilities in me so much. Like, that's the game that he played, you know? Like, that's some kind of game that's not called Break Your Fucking Leg. But <laughs> he came out But he came out with that, exactly. And he, and he came out with that electric, and, of course, we're all thinking, oh. every time he had electric on, I was like, break free, break free. But it, it was a confusing moment because it, it was just shocking, you know? It's such a cool Beatles song, kind of a deep-cut Beatles song from Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. It sounded incredible. And I think that was one of the only times we kept texting. You guys texted me and asked me how long they played it. And I could—I actually couldn't remember. I, I, the song on Abbey Road is like seven minutes long. I know they didn't do that. It's so long. They do this like great droning outro. And actually, I Want You ends side A of Abbey Road. And one of the reasons they did this long droney thing and it cuts off is because they, they were toying with the idea of like being sort of mesmerized by the music. And the, it was almost like a joke that you don't, you're sitting in front of a record player, which is what most people were doing in 1968 and 69 just almost like in a trance and then it would just abruptly cut off you know that was like a little little cheeky thing the Beatles did back then but it makes sense and then they went into my 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 greatest fear the my least favorite song on the album which is after everything which the top of that song very Beatlesy so they went in after everything again and I told my wife I said this is my greatest this is the song I did not want them to play the most because my favorite song on the album is it could happen which I would put in the same column of you never know and come on come on like it just sounds like dave matthews band so they played after everything and i gotta say pretty fun live my and my wife loved it and the crowd loved it so what can you do you know like dave is not playing these shows for the less than five percent of people that want to hear break for it like i think bismarck's for those people but you know after everything kind of bluesy R&B buddy gets to sing he sounds like an angel they were obviously having fun and like extending it it felt powerful people were dancing and when they ended it the crowd went nuts so what what can, who am I to say you know why not play it why not play it if because you're having fun it's a head scratcher on the album because it feels like two different songs I, mm-hmm. I mean I burnt the record down right before I came on this just to get the juice going for Dave and like I don't skip it but it's a head scratcher, 
you know? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll all love it in 10 years. But it feels like the angel of walk around the moon. If I may be so bold to compare it oh, to a, a, a loathsome song. Which, by Very the way, fair. guys, which, by the way, dudes, Angel, I like it. I like the song. I'd rather hear that than crash into me. All right, well, oh, I'll call you up, you pick up. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not even trying to shock anybody. Mute his mic. Get him out uh, of here. Put him in the pit. The music, box. I'll give you the music is good, but mm, the lyrics on that one, tough. <laughs> I'll call you Leroy up, you sounds good on that one. Oh, yes. Like, like always, but... Oof. Okay, so then another highlight uh, of the set, we get a granny, which I told my wife, I was like, the, 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 when they start getting into that chorus, like the love and the maybe, like this place is going to be nuts. The crowd seemed very grateful. Because the other thing about Dave is most of the fans probably aren't like the, the three of us and your listeners, but they loved granny. They seemed to know what granny was, and they were appreciative for it, is the vibe I was getting. And of course, by this time, me and the, the two other nerds in the booth with me, we're already like buddied up. We're sitting by each other. We're talking, you know, we're talking, we're trying to call each song. He does Kill the Preacher. And this is when we were talking off air before. Dave's playing this electric guitar that looks like the one he plays on um, Shape Me Like a Monkey. And I was like, oh, maybe they'll play Shape Me Like a Monkey. And the guy was like, nah, they're going to play YM. They always play it, you know, Kill the Preacher before this. So then, and then I said, man, I hope they play Shape Me Like a Monkey. And the, he gave me such a look. Like, he looked at me like, are you out of your fucking mind? And then they played Why I Am, and I was kind of bummed. It's not one of my favorite songs, you know? I think it's a little cheesy. I, I get that it's about Leroy. It's upbeat. And I will say live, it was pretty awesome. I, I think I, I, it's just one I skip on the record, you know? Um, then we got a Louisiana Bayou, and that felt a little disappointing, too. I think I texted you guys. I was like, didn't they play this last show but i gotta say it got like one of the biggest responses from the entire arena like if they're like if they're judging it by like the energy they're getting from the crowd i get why they keep playing it because it it was just a lot of fun dudes like it was just a fun like it, it turned for me into like a wall of sound where they were just sort of going between two chords and it just gets loud and audiences, I'm not saying people are dumb or anything, but audiences <laughs> as a group are easy to manipulate like emotionally with music. Yeah. And they just kept getting loud and big and, and you just get sort of whipped into a frenzy. And then when they land it, like what else are you supposed to do except scream? It's like this huge catharsis. And that's how they went out, you know. And, but I was a little disappointed, you know. But the, the snobby D&B fan in me was kind of coming out a little bit. Still grateful to be there. All right, so then they come out, and me and Jen were both hoping for Looking for a Vein, which I'm so shocked that that song has, like, resonated so much with all the fans. It's such a unlikely um, song to resonate with everybody. But they played mm. Looking for a Vein. It was great. And then they ended with Gray Street, which that's another one my wife was hoping that was like, that's one that like my wife would know. And it was fucking powerful and awesome. Third verse, all that stuff. He did the big yes. scream. He landed it. You know, uh, it was it was beautiful. It was powerful and awesome. And when they when the when it lastly rung out and the boys were leaving the stage, I felt very grateful and satisfied. It was a really, really wonderful evening. So it made me want, in fact, I was uh, telling my wife, I was like, I want to try to go to more shows. Like it did that for me where I was like, what other shows can I go to? And that's a pretty good <laughs> sign that it was successful because it got me thinking. <laughs> like you wanting more. Well, I'm just not home a lot. And I did really, and you know, it's harder for us to afford to do all that. So it was like, 
okay, what shows could I possibly fly to? Or where are we touring where I could stay an extra day and rent a car? So I was happy. I was all filled up for sure. That's awesome. Okay, I what? Mean, you go, Nolan. Me, uh, you, you had a yeah. good question. Yeah, give me your your top moment. Top moment, worst moment from the night. Hmm. Top moment was probably seeing busted stuff. Yeah. Um, huge, huge Lily White Sessions fan, as all of us are. Are there any Dave Matthews band guy that doesn't like doesn't like the Lily White Sessions? Probably the um, ones that think that girl is you was written about been, them. Yeah, oh, they've been excommunicated. Them. Um, if there is, so they, they're not heard from anymore. I think that was a top moment, just knowing what a treat it was. Um, it was really nice to see Monsters and Mad Men's Eyes live. I love the new album. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad they're playing the new album. Bummer moment. <sighs> hmm, I'm looking at the set list. I mean, prob- probably the Watchtower thing. Mm. Probably. I hate to say that. It feels wrong to say, but Either that or Jimmy. Th- it's either Watchtower or Jimmy thing. That's, That's a shame. Like, I think I disliked those moments even more than after everything. Because after everything, I'd already I'd already just sort of dealt with my disappointment. And then my wife was enjoying it so much that it sort of... It, it, her excitement was imbued onto me. And then I could see mm. how much fun the band was having. And it just it sort of morphed it for me a little bit, you know? Makes a difference, doesn't it? It's weird. Like, Yeah. Uh, I went to... The- the last show in the fall tour msg and sledgehammer starts and mm. the place it was probably the loudest the place got and i was like no what <laughs> they no like they've played two-step in the show what are you guys doing right and but <laughs> man everyone like had an absolute blast i was like okay i'll, I'll have a good time too <laughs> it's it's fine but it's so isn't that weird how it works out like that I think also I knew that after everything was going to be like less than four minutes, you know, and the, what, when Watchtower started, mm-hmm. I, there was a part of me was like, well, how, I mean, saddle up, you know, who knows how long this is going to be. Not you very know? long. And also I'm, I'm kind of upset that looking for a vein still hasn't really gone longer than three minutes. I know the one for Clint was three minutes. It's two forty-five on the album. And they've got Jeff on it. He kind of plays stuff, but they still aren't making it. Like they could really extend that Busted a little open. bit. The 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 lack of horns, like a really pretty horn thing, mm-hmm. like the lack of that song opening up into some beautiful thing is a curiosity. I know a lot's been said about the band's not on that song. It it is curious. It is. I actually like Dave's programming on it. I, I think it's cool. It's a different texture, and and really, what it is is that song's just so good. That's that's why it's resonating. Despite, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons on paper to not like that song, but there's a reason no, that like not. a lot of fans are just like really resonating with. It's just such a pretty rumination on futility or trying to trying to reconnect with like hope and joy and. But yeah, live it needs to blossom into something, and you know, I guess we can get into the album talk a little bit too. But another really big misstep if we can call it that is the fact that it could happen doesn't go on another two minutes just okay now it's time all right yeah it's time to (laughs) yeah it's time to get clint's review and unadulterated takes on walk around the moon but is there anything else you want to say about the nashville show i mean obviously it made you want to go see more and more and more um as you know this band typically just pulls you in um and makes you want to dive in um into that empty ocean but 
is there just anything else you want to tie a nice little bow yeah before we transition to that new album yeah it's similar to how we're processing this new era of metallica too where you know my overwhelming feeling this stage of life this is a band i've liked since 1996 okay so it's 2023 i'm turning 40 this year they've put out an album that can't hang with the their peak but it's still fucking good and live they were excellent and it wasn't the set list i would have written but i think i think if you're not watching this stuff i guess what i'm trying to say a long way away is like i was just grateful that they're still doing it and that it's still as good as it is and i think parsing out i think complaining about it's part of the fun of it that's why these forums exist that's why we have podcasts it's fun to do a top 10 or you know but ultimately my takeaway was you know I got to see the show. I barely made it coming off a plane from, you know, from Europe. And they're still doing it. They're still one of my favorite bands. It just made me grateful, you know. I was really trying to just stay connected to the joy of it. And what it must take for them to still care enough to try to make an album that's good. Mm. And yeah, the song choices are weird and could they have put others, you know, we could have that conversation forever. But you know, I was when I listened to the album, I hadn't heard a lot of these songs. And I'm just closing my eyes and like looking for a vein was like shocking to me like what he was saying and the way it sounded and it was weird and it could happen like closing my eyes and remembering the first time i heard you never know and having that same feeling like being disappointed that they'd left off sweet up and down and why did they what's this crap what's you never know and then being like whoa this is as good as anything they've ever done you know why isn't jtr on this oh but this is on it you know or it just took me back you know so that was my takeaway. It was it was a very joyful evening for me, and it was nice to share it with my wife. It was nice to be with my Gibson family, and nice to share it now with you guys and your audience. Hey, thanks for sharing it with us. We appreciate it, and that's I mean, like that's what it's all about. When you yeah. leave a show feeling that way, I mean, I'd say ninety five percent of the shows I've been to, I I'm like, man, that was a fun night. And now you just appreciate them more because they're getting older. Yeah, and especially with with this album like what a pleasant surprise of an album i mean you just you you never know what their like track record from stand up on you know you don't know what you're going to get in the studio but uh, with each listen i think this album gets better and better i'd still love to ask dave why is the full band not like all over this i yeah. don't i'll never like never understand it but um, let's let's get into it, Clint. What? Uh, give me yeah, some have, of your some of your impressions on Walk Around the Moon. All right. So, I I w- the only ones I I listened to maybe one time. I listened to Walk Around the Moon when it when they debuted it, Ocean and the Butterfly, and the only thing. So I knew those kind of, but hadn't listened in enough time to to know them. Um, my first few listens to Walk Around the Moon, it was hard for me. When it gets to that, it's blue and it's red stuff. Something opens up in that song that feels kind of timeless and like fresh and you know you feel like oh there's something the rest of the song was hard for me at first but it's really grown on me a lot it's one of my favorites and i i don't think it's starting with almost an exasperated sounding size and accident you know i think that's intentional and it's almost like here we go you know like we're gonna crank the machine up again we're gonna try to tell 12 stories again we're gonna try to compete with what we've done you know like analogous also to metallica sorry if your listeners are rolling their eyes every time i mention big scary metal band but 
you know, in a way, I, I talk about this on our podcast, in a way, like, we'll never forgive them for how awesome Before These Crowded Streets is. We'll do, you know what I mean? Like, we'll just never forgive them for how awesome it is and how everything they've done since then ain't that, you know? Hmm. And there's almost a sense of, like, especially the last two records where it's like, look, we're, we did that record, it was cool, and now we're doing this over here. This is where we're at, you know? I don't know why that kind of comes through for me with Walk Around the Moon. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. But it does invoke a feeling. I think it's a good album opener, and I like it. I like the song a lot. All right, Madman's Eyes, I think, is an instant classic. Uh, it just has all the things that I kind of like about a dark DMB song. I think that scream on the recording would have been awesome. Oh. I think the vocals in general, Madman's Eyes is a bad time to talk about this because he kind of does go for it in those choruses and in those pre-choruses I love. But Walk Around the Moon, he's kind of timid. He sings pretty timid on it. Yeah. Um, obviously timid and like looking for a vein and something to tell my baby, but I think he could have opened up a little more and walk around the moon. Like that might've been one of the things for me at first was like, this, he didn't sound like super convicted in the vocal performance, but it's really grown on me now. Um, but Madman's eyes, I just feel like sometimes I imagine what he's thinking, you know, like, and then sometimes I imagine him thinking, talking to critics or like DMB snobs and saying, look, if you don't like this, I don't know what the fuck I can do for you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what else can I do? Yep. Yeah. And again, it ripped live. Like, I think that's going to become like, I don't know. I don't know what people think out there, but I love it. Uh, what do you guys, I mean, if my, am I, I, I listen to y'all's episode, but am I, if I poke a bear or I say anything that warrants more conversation, let me know. No, um, I think I so far so good. Um, we're in agreement. Yeah. Looking for Vane, if I didn't know that it wasn't the band wasn't on it, I just don't, didn't listen to it in that way, and it surprised me to see all that. Anyway, sometimes I try to avoid the forums because, yeah, sometimes when I go lurk over there, it kind of bums me out, and it's kind of because a lot of the things that people say aren't wrong, you know, like it's like oh yeah that is true, and then I feel like something's been kind of like left me a little bit about it. Um, so I, I just know I like the song. Like that was one that I was listening on my phone. I, I was on the road, and when it ended, I started it again. You know what I mean? Like I went into listening to the record. Like I'm gonna burn it down and close my. I had I had like a free couple of hours in a bus, but when it when Looking for Vain ended, I started it again because it's short. It's a little, it's a little kind of left of center for them. Obviously that drum loop, really. When he goes in that falsetto, it's just so pretty, and then before you know it, it's gone. So. It inspired me to listen a few times, and that, I kind of paid attention to that. I was curious about that. I was like, okay, there's something here. And I was happy to see that people are really liking that one. Um, but yeah, it should blossom more live. I mean, it should have blossomed on the album, but it is a nice little thing. It feels like a vignette, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels kind of like like, um, like those little moments on where we squat the streets, before we squat the streets, but it's longer than that. But All right, so anyway, love it. Ocean and the Butterfly, kind of like Walk Around the Moon. It kind of took a minute to grow on me, and it kind of sounds like uh, it kind of sounds like Earth Angel by the Penguins. You guys know that song? Earth Angel, Earth Angel. That's it. Oh, doo -doo. that one. That's what I was. That's what, I couldn't get the words out. Do what we were saying. I was like, "There's this song, and I'm trying to find it." That was yeah. it. It's either like the and that's the Penguins, Earth Angel, or it's a little bit like Stand by Me. Dum, mm -hmm. ba -da -dum. Ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum. I think that kind of like turned me off to a little bit, but the but it, the more I've, I'm like you, Nolan. Like this record really is a grower for me. Like yeah. I listened to it today. From I don't, today was maybe like 
I don't know, maybe the 20th time I've listened to it. And I just, I loved it, you know? I just, I loved it. So that's where that song kind of fits for me. It's, um, it's not like, it's not, it doesn't blow my mind, but I really like it. It could happen. Highlight for me. It sounds like classic DMB. I, I really love everything about it. I love the lyric. The only thing I don't like is that it, it kind of ends and you just want it to go on for another couple of minutes. I mean, couldn't someone have played a horn or something? Don't they have any good horn players in their band? <laughs> God damn. Don't they have a world-class keyboard player? Ugh. Yes. Jam it out. Yeah, I really... I'm really the last guy to ask for that. But, yeah, I mean... And, again, that's one that I... I, I mean, I had my eyes closed and I was just smiling because it just, to me, sounds like classic DMB, Instant classic. Yes. That's another one... I think Looking for a Vein and It Could Happen are the only two that I played two or three times in a row as soon as I heard them. And I was so glad I waited. I was so just letting it wash over me. You know, I was like really, that felt like a magic moment for me. Yes. And then trying to just digest what he's saying and like just loving how the lyrics, it's one thing I love to do when I'm writing songs is like, because if you land on a great chorus, it's like, don't, don't mess with it. A great chorus is a great chorus. But I love that some of the elements change, you know, like the choruses evolve, you know, he, he talks about, you know, what a trip and like a rocket ship and, but it did like just a few little things he finesses, but it still has the same phrasing, still the same rhyme scheme. I don't know. It just felt very alive and very cool, but again, too short. Something to tell my baby, my first time through, I wasn't reading the lyrics and that one was a sleeper for me. When I listened to the whole record for the second or third time and I read the lyrics, it really moved me a lot. Um, being a, being a, I, I interpreted it as a dad, and it just made me think of my daughter. And it's such a, um, you know, I love the songs he writes about his kids and for his kids. That's the reason that Sweet popped out of me when I first heard it. And I didn't even have a kid then. I have an eight-year-old now. But, you know, the song like Alligator Pie... You know, all these songs he writes for his kids, I like. I, I didn't really dig Come Tomorrow, but this one hit me. This is one that I played for my wife. She was up in my studio, and I was listening to the album the day that we went to the show. Which, by the way, when you guys go to concerts, do you wear the T-shirt of the of band of the concert you're going to, and do you listen to those records before the concert? We wear the podcast T-shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Oh, uh, dude, there's, I don't know if this has happened to you guys yet, but this has happened to us a couple of times. There's nothing more insanely funny and fun than being in an arena at a Metallica show and looking around and seeing people wear your podcast shirt. Oh, yes. Like, we saw shit. one at the Gorge. It's the best. Isn't that a great feeling? It's unbelievable. Um, okay, so that was one that I played for my wife. I get it. It's sleepy. Really pretty string section. Again, a curiosity, like, you guys got some great you got some great band members maybe put them on there but i can tell listening to it and i'm i'm you know projecting this perhaps but i can tell the song means a lot to dave probably because of the subject matter for his children it's this existential thing i've like really always as a fellow atheist i've always just appreciated his sort of like bleak it's kind of a bleak outlook he has uh but he tries to from that just grab whatever he can hold on to and he tries to make it beautiful as he can. And that's what the song is. Just something to tell my baby. Something to make him smile. You know, yeah. something to give him a little hope for a little while. I, I, I dig it, you know. It makes me think of my daughter. For that reason, it gets a pass. All right, after everything, huge head scratcher. First, first time burning that down. 
I probably texted you guys like, what the hell is going on? It feels like two songs. And then I think one of you told me that it's copyrighted from like 2010 or it's like something old, an old song nugget. Is that the case? 2013, I think, was the original yeah. copyright date. It feels like two songs. The first part of the song feels like the Beatles. Like if they could have just land, stayed yes. there in that world. And it kind of made sense that they played the, you know, I Want You before mm-hmm. uh, that song at the Nashville show. I love Buddy. I love Buddy in the band. Buddy's brought a lot of, of a very sweet, cool vibe. I love hearing him sing. I think he sounds like an angel. It's just weird when it goes into the R&B thing and him and Dave are kind of trading. And it's really, I just want to tell you, I still love you. It's just like, I don't know. But it is fun, um, but a head scratcher. That is one that if I'm listening to it like on my phone, I'll skip it. On the record, when it burns out, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. All You Wanted Was Tomorrow. First thing I thought was Jimmy Thing riff. Kind of a slow burn, but I love when it picks up. Like when the band starts picking up and there's like a great Rashawn solo in this song. And then when him and Jeff start locking in and doing that kind of more, you know, that kind of more planned sounding thing. That's one that's really grown on me too. Really pretty song. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I like it. The only thing... <laughs> Uh, has become one of my favorite songs on the album. I didn't think it would be, but damn, that chorus is so good. Man, that song yes. is so good. Yes. And another song that I think Dave is looking at the fan base and going, if you don't like it, I can't help you. You're you're doomed. Mm. You don't like it? Absolutely. Bruce? I love it. That's okay. what I'm saying. Just like, okay. yeah, if you, hands up if you don't like it. Like, it just whatever. feels like classic DMB. It's like awesome. Great, great lyrics, a great soaring chorus. I will say, the first time I heard the solo section... I was a little like, whoa, this is weird. Like, the shit that Buddy's doing reminds me of, like, it's very synthy, like, mm. Richard Wright, Pink Floyd stuff, but, like, fast. Mm. And then Tim's kind of doing a noise rock thing. It kind of bugged me at first, honestly, but now the more I've listened to it, the more I like it. I like that they kind of kept it short. They both do two rounds. Yep. But the stuff Buddy's doing, they've never done anything like that on a record. I mean, that is exactly. complete, completely new territory, sonically, for a Dave Matthews album. And for that reason... I think it kicks ass. Okay, Break Free. When the Bats and Sessions came out, I never heard any of those songs. Uh, I recognized that, like, Idea of You. I recognized the Come Tomorrow songs. Break Free and Break For It blew my mind. Blew my mind. I was like, these are the as good Dave Matthews songs as anything on any of their records. And it, it just really shocked me that those weren't already on records, considering how old they were. I felt the same way when, it, when I heard Sugar Will. I was glad they put this on. I love the recording. I'm not crazy about the Tim thing at the end. And I know that he changed the arrangement a little bit and some people didn't like that, but I wasn't familiar enough with the song to be married to however they were doing it. So I love it. I love the guitar. You can, If you learn that guitar part, it's really simple and you can just sit and play that guitar part forever. It's like hypnotic. It's so cool. Um, so I'm very happy with that song. Monsters, I think, is a highlight of the album. Um, very trippy. Again, kind of a Pink Floyd vibe. Great live, great Tim thing live. Um, love the chorus. I love when he kind of ramps up the vocal melody. Like the back from from only thing to break free to monsters is really strong section of the record. And oh, then yes. I'll say this about singing from the window. So when Dave debuted that song, it, he was it was it was on like a um, it was filmed for something. You guys remember this? What was that? He was like doing an online um, stream. CNN maybe was the first one, or did he do one? I think it was like for... a Verizon thing, maybe. It was like from his house. Paid yeah, for it was early. Verizon. Early, early on. So this I was early. Red logo. 
so early COVID stuff, right? We're all scared. Yeah. We're all in lockdown. I was teaching my daughter first grade and I knew that he was doing that. And I told Nova, my daughter, I said, Hey, and she was five at the time. I think and I said, Hey, we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this guy, you know, like this is a guy I like, and we were watching on my computer. She was sitting in my lap and we both had headphones on. She had a separate set. I had set on. And when he played that song and she was kind of having fun, kind of fidgety. I was kind of like, Hey, pay attention to this. You know, dad, dad really wants to watch this, you know? And when he started playing singing from the windows, she, she went completely still and we both just watched it. And obviously the, the lyric was hitting me and man, she just looked at me at one point and she was like, this song is beautiful. And I just never heard her react to music. Like she just loved it. Like we were both, she said, isn't this song great? That's what she said. And I said, yeah, man, it really is. You know, like I was just so glad that it was a good song. It was a pretty song. This is another one that I played for my wife and asked her to read the lyrics, but just for that time being so scared about not only like my, if, whether or not I was going to have a job, I mean, my whole industry shut down and being scared for her, scared for the future, like pandemic records and pandemic songs bore me, you know, like everyone had something to say about what we were going through, but this one, I don't know. It just, it just makes me cry. Like sometimes I skip it because I'll cry. You know, like coming off of I'm not always ready to cry when listening to music. You know, you have to be in kind of a mood for that. But I know that that song's gotten a lot of grief and people are kind of over it, maybe bummed that it made the record, especially when we all know that he's sitting on some fucking great stuff. You know, he's playing Bismarck on the tour and yet it's still not on an album. It's insane. doesn't make any sense. But (laughs) that song will always kind of have a special place for me just because I shared this moment with my daughter that feels, you know, um, kind of like in a little snow globe that I can always revisit. And that song reminds me of it. So it's just special for me. So those are my thoughts on the album. I love the artwork. I think it sounds good. I, I think, you know, I I think we could talk for a long time about what we wish it would have been. And, but I'm just trying to be more grateful for what it is, I guess. Is what yeah, I think to that say. that great point. I think that's like a waste of time, honestly, if you're mm-hmm. just going to go down uh, that. And I think that... Um, I was very refreshed that I felt the way that I did about it, that you feel the way that you did about it, that Nolan feels the way that he did, and a lot of fans seem to as well. Um, it kind of bums me out that other people f- feel completely differently, but this music is, is what it is, and you know what? I ain't going to change your mind probably, but um, I'm kind of like, man, I feel like you're just missing something here if you you know, really don't connect to it or, or if it doesn't hit you that way. So, um I'm I'm really glad that it did hit you that way because it just it makes uh it makes me happy. <laughs> totally. Yeah, man. I think DMB fans, I mean, should just appreciate this album. Like, I think the process of them making it it was tough on them, and I mean, I, they pulled it off. It's it's really good, and it's I don't know. It's a emo- it's an emotional album. Like I, yeah. I'm surprised. Like sometimes I have to skip something to tell my baby and windows because I'm like, I can't, I can't get through this song. And then I start thinking about like, I mean, some of the, some of the other songs, like even monsters, pretty emotional song. Yeah. I agree. I think Dave, I said in the last episode, but his songwriting and storytelling in this, on this record, big time. I agree. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. I don't think much more needs to be said. I think we've already said it. And then Clint, yeah. he, he freaking said it. Um, Clint nailed it. And, that was a great idea, Clint. And Thank the great you. thing 
is that they're doing it live on those songs for for the most part and yeah. they're going to continue to expand on them and they're going to get even better and clint was you know box seat for that last week um and nolan and i in just a couple of days 48 hours we will be in attendance and we will be hearing something right now probably from walk around the moon um and so yes. we're really pumped for that and that's going to be in charleston nolan um and so that's going to be the next time that you're going to hear from us is going to be either from some sort of lot brewery bar or our airbnb (laughs) pre-show to some sort of post-show recording who knows um and yeah so i can't wait for that nolan um and clint do you have we kind of need to wrap it up here this is way longer than i thought it was going to be and it's so much better than it was longer because i feel it just i really think that we have a great time uh talking with you about this stuff um had a great time when you when you were in town for tour in jacksonville um and that was you know just a ton of good stuff so we're before this timer runs out i want you to plug your stuff because you've got a new album uh you've been on tour plug the crap out of stuff for two straight minutes and then we're gonna get out of here because right. we gotta go. <laughs> and another thing about stand up, uh, <laughs> the thing about S- Smooth Rider, um, yeah, I, pl- I play with a Sony artist named Morgan Wade, and we're on tour. I mean, we we live on the road now. We've been on tour for like eight weeks, and uh, great artists, Americana, country stuff. If you like Chris Stapleton, Jason Isbell, you'll like her stuff. Uh, I write for a publishing company called Rough Trade Publishing. And I write my own little songies. I have an album out called Going Supernova. It's on all the streaming stuff. It's just an awesome 10-song rollicking rock album that will remind you why it's fun to turn up loud guitars. So you can find that wherever you stream stuff. I do a Metallica podcast called Metal Up Your Podcast if anyone's interested in that. They have a new album out that's really cool, very similar narrative to what's going on with the Dave stuff. So you can find all of that wherever it goes. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about the Charleston Show. You guys do a great service to Dave Matthews Band fans. And I, you know, in that time when I was getting reconnected with the band, if I hadn't found you guys, if you guys hadn't started doing this, I don't know who I'd be talking to right now. But I'm glad you guys are here. I'm sure all your fans agree. Thanks for having me on the show again. You guys are great hosts. A lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. Dude, you're the man. Thank you. Um, Nolan, I'm going to let you wrap it up. But before we do that, uh, in Charleston, Sam Erickson, Rodrigo Simas, Sanjay Suchak all of the photographer extraordinaires are going to be at a pop up like fine art thing um, right outside Charleston Mount Pleasant Saturday uh, June 3rd 4 to 6 p.m. so if you're around check it out we're going to try to be there Um, and so yeah they're going to have a bunch of cool DMB photos and other bands I know that Rodrigo has a bunch of other stuff and Sanjay goes way outside of DMB so um, yeah check that out Nolan get us out of here Clint you're the man time to wrap it up clint appreciate it we gotta like all go to a show together and just geek out and nerd out the whole time i would love it we'll do a live podcast after it'd be amazing i would Um, love to do that let's keep that in mind um but yeah thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next week on the corner of gray street
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.